Now, I'd like to uh, read uh, from John 12, 23. And then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to do another reading. But if you could turn over to John 12 and verse 23, it's on page 1068. Page 1,068. Now, we'll start at verse 20. Um... Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Now, this was uh, earlier on in Jesus' career when he went up to Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. So these came to Philip. Sorry, this, this happened just after Palm Sunday. So these came to Philip, who was from um, Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew... Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Now let's pray. Oh Father, we do thank you that um, just a few days before Jesus died, he, he told his disciples that they were to, they were to have the mind uh, that he had as, as servants and were prepared to die, prepared to serve one another prepared to love one another, prepared to sacrifice. Um, unless indeed the, the grain of wheat does fall into the, into the earth, then no fruitfulness will come. But we thank you, Lord, that uh, you came to suffer and die for us so that there may be a massive harvest of salvation that comes from your death. And Lord Jesus, you want us to have the same mind as you had and be prepared to, to die to our own past life, to serve others, to love others, and bear fruit, uh, and prove to, be, uh, prove to be your disciples because of our love for you, our love for one another. And uh, Lord, we do ask you that you will uh, help us, Lord, as we look into your word this evening. And that you will uh, indeed uh, cause our love for you to, to become greater, Lord, as we appreciate more of your glory and more of your greatness. Oh, Lord, we do need your Holy Spirit to bring to, to, to mind these, these uh, wonderful words of God and apply them to our souls. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, could I uh, now turn to um, Romans, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. And uh, on, in, we're actually going to be um, looking at um, the passage starting at Romans 8, verse 31. 
And Paul says in this really well-known passage, most of us know very well, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword? For it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you'll see I've I've constructed a title that says, What shall we say to the glory of Easter? And you may note that uh, I am uh, using an expression that Paul says, uh, of course, in uh, in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? What is our response to the Easter, the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ? What, it, what, 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 what firstly, we might say, well, what glory are we talking about? What, what glory of Easter? Well, what do we mean by Easter? Easter was, uh, of course, uh, is a name that was, you know, came about uh, in, uh, in Britain and various other countries in Europe. They have different, uh, different names from different derivations from it. But, of course, it's based upon... The Passover, the Passover time amongst the Jews, during which Jesus died and rose from the dead, during that feast. So, uh, although, of course, Easter isn't mentioned uh, particularly in the New Testament, um, we know that um, Paul on one occasion went up during the Passover, and uh, uh, the Passover is referred to in New Testament documents after, after Jesus, and obviously they would have remembered uh, the Passover uh, time as being the time when Jesus died. But why, why, why has it got this glory about, well I'm going to actually look at this, uh, this question firstly about what glory was manifested at that Passover when Jesus was crucified. You see, glorifying someone or glorification uh, can refer either to giving of praise to someone or the manifestation of something or someone who was worthy of praise in a certain event. On numerous occasions, including the one that I I read from from, uh, John a minute ago, Jesus refers to the fact that he was being glorified, he is being glorified by God. And that there was a glory that was being revealed through Jesus in these events of, uh, of uh, Easter or of that Passover in which Jesus died. 
The glory in the Bible when referencing God and when referencing the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about his own essential worth, his greatness, his power, his majesty, everything in him which should call forth our adoring reverence. I'm quoting from a, actually a, a liberal theologian there talking about uh, the manifestation of glory. But he's got it right. That's what, what, that's what, uh, the, what we're talking about glorifying Jesus should mean. It isn't just tapping our feet and banging a tambourine and singing loudly. It's an inward worship, gladness, glorying and exulting in what Jesus has done and who he is. And indeed uh, the Father's love and the, who the Father is. His self-sacrificing love for us. And you see, it's precisely the whole, the whole uh, event, those three days of Easter, which we're, we're coming to the end of those, those, uh, those three days, reminds us of the amazing glory of God. And indeed, as it is preached, both in the morning and the evening on Easter Day, we can catch glimpses of this wonderful glory as we look into the Word of God. Calvin said about it this, he said, In the cross of Christ, as in a splendid theater, the incomparable goodness of God is set before the whole world. And, uh, you know, that, that of course, is, is all of us who are preachers, is our, our, our desire that actually through what is said and preached, Christ and his glorious wonder is manifested in our own hearts. And indeed, the glory of the Father also is revealed to us. Now, the, the glorification of Jesus and this, this explosion of glory that happened um, in Jesus' life but was focused upon those three days of, uh, of uh, his death and resurrection was forecast on numerous times in the Old Testament. And I really, I could spend the whole sermon going through uh, many, many texts talking about the way God was going to glorify his servant. Uh, in Isaiah 55, verse 5, it says this, Behold, you will call a nation you don't know, and a nation which knows you will, not run, to you, will run to you, sorry, because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Now that, that is a, a messianic reference to the fact that Jesus in his, in his um, amazing ministry, was not merely ministering to the people of his generation, but to the whole universe and to the whole of planet Earth during the, the, all of the rest of historical time. The Lord manifested his glory on the, in these three days in such a way, written down, passed on, is the, the source of salvation for the, the rest of time. In verse 9 of the same book, Surely the coastlands will wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. Now, of course, we know that this was, this was uh, taken up in John's Gospel. Je Jesus said that when the Son of Man is lifted from the earth, he will draw men to himself. Uh, in the text in, in, uh, in uh, John 12 that I, I read earlier about the, 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 um, the Greeks were coming to ask Jesus questions. Now, in the Gospels, 
Um, we do have a, one, or, you know, one, or in, one or two individuals who weren't Jews who come to find out about Jesus, whether it be the Canaanite woman who sought help, whether it be uh, the centurion whose servants came to find help. You have these individuals. But suddenly at this Passover time, and at this, this, you know, at this time when, um, when Jesus was facing the last few days of his life, Many Greeks wanted to see him. And, and Jesus said, now the hour has come for me to be glorified. Uh, in John 17, 1, Jesus spoke these words. Um, when he was with his disciples uh, on the night before he was betrayed, uh, he, he gave what is often called the high priestly prayer. He spoke these things, but John chapter 17, verse 1. Lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Now, I mean, two interesting things here. This sentence, the time has come. On numerous occasions, Jesus uh, refers to this central event in history. The time has come. The focus of history is about to happen. The glory of God is to be revealed in the salvation of, of so many people centered on this one event. And the second thing is, uh, in, in this verse, he, he talks about, Father, you, you have given him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life. Now, you may remember in Daniel, Daniel has one of these night visions in which he sees this thing which, which frightens him because it's so awesome. He has a vision of one looking like a son of man who approaches the throne. And to this great and strange being that Daniel is bewildered about, it says that he will have authority, a kingdom. He's given, he's given glory. Those words aren't used, but he's given this tremendous authority. And Jesus himself claims for himself in this, in this passage, this is about him. You have given him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And he, he, he says, in, uh, carry on in 17 verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, the, the Lord Jesus is saying that now is, is, the time is approaching. The time has come for this incredible explosion of, of, uh, of uh, a revelation of the glory of God in the person of Christ. Of the, and the glory of the Father. With the glory which I had with you before the world was, before the world began. The cross displays the amazing glory of the love of and grace of God that existed before the universe began. And all of, the, all of the millennia, all of the time going back far, far into the farthest reaches of time, back into eternity itself, it was all waiting for this final and incredible manifestation about, of the love and, uh, and sacrificial love of both the Father and of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself on the Emmaus Road um, when, when talking to the disciples who haven't got a clue that they're speaking to Jesus, he says to them, was it not necessary 
for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory. Now notice, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, this was before the ascension, often we may not notice that the glorification of Jesus didn't just start when he ascended into heaven, but actually started when he was lifted from the earth. When, to all intents and purposes, there was nothing but shame and humiliation and horror. But actually, this was the beginning of the most wonderful glorification of Jesus. And of course, it is central, isn't it, to our own love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our own understanding of his, his fantastic love and care for us. That it was on the cross that he showed this love for us. That the covenant love of the Father from eternity past was shown for us dwellers on planet earth that just lived for a few years and are gone it was manifested it started its wonderful manifestation of course it began in the life of jesus himself Uh, uh, he was full of grace and truth he had glory as the only son from the father as he grew up as a young man but the revelation of the wonderful nature of this love finally came about and he was glorified uh, in his amazing love for us shown in his death on the cross I mean, Jesus, uh, you know, was, was saying, the hour has come. Now's H hour. Now's the time for the amazing, uh, um, amazing victory over Satan. The predestined hour. Do you remember Jesus uh, talked uh, to Mary uh, right at the beginning of John's gospel? Uh, she asks uh, um, Jesus to provide the wine. And he says, well, the hour has not yet come. Now, I think that maybe... Jesus here was referring to the fact that the Messianic banquet hasn't become yet. You know, the Messianic banquet uh, was the traditional idea of the Jews had at the end of the world when the Messiah would reign and rule and it would be a tremendous banquet, thanksgiving for those who have been saved and uh, are going and living in glory. And Jesus is saying, well, why are you asking me to provide the why? It, the hour has not yet come. But yet when we arrive at these last few days of, of Jesus' life, he says it time and time again, that the hour had come. It says in John 13, 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing his hour had come, that he would depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Uh, Isn't that a marvelous expression? The glory of the person of Jesus, whose hour had come of suffering and yet of glory. The glory couldn't be seen by human eyes. They just saw the shame and the agony. But the glory of the manifestation of the Father's love, who did not spare his only son, was being revealed in, in in the present. And how wonderful it is that this love of Jesus, isn't it? That, that he was sh- showing his love to his disciples to the, to the end, right to the very end of his life, but also, of course, right he's talking about uh, also, I'm sure, here. Uh, John is referring to the fact that Christ would carry on loving them to the end of time. You know, the glory that there is in the perseverance of the saints, actually, is not so much in the fact that Christians are, you know, by God's power and grace and the Spirit of God do actually continue in faith. The glory of the perseverance really is God perseveres with us. That's the wonderful thing, that God has known from eternity how disobedient, selfish, ungrateful, stupid we are, 
and how we, you know, we mess around in our Christian lives. And yet God perseveres with us. And as a result, he keeps us persevering in our faith. How wonderful this is. But as I've said, if I carry on, this, this, this time at Easter time, these three days, is when the Son of Man is going to be glorified. And uh, so we have it in uh, 13 verse 31. It says this. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Now, what incident we're talking about? We're talking about the incident in in, uh, John 13, where basically Satan had just entered into Judas. If you want to look at this passage, you might find this useful. John 13, verse 27. After the morsel of of bread that... uh, Jesus had, had, had dipped uh, and then given to, to Judas. Satan then entered into him, Judas. Therefore Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he'd said this to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need of for the feast, or else he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel... He went out immediately into the night. Judas was now embarked upon the most terrible action imaginable to portray the holy and innocent Son of God to torture and to death. And when that happened, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Now. And so we see that the whole of the Easter events is covered by this this idea of the the glorification of Jesus Christ. Not just the ascension, not just the resurrection, but these whole events. While the, the, the powers of darkness seem to be triumphing, no. There's a hidden, wonderful glorification of of God that is happening, that is seen from eternity, because this one who was, uh, Judas was having planned to deliver over to the chief priests and deliver over to death, this one was the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world, who is manifesting his wonderful love. Uh, in, in, the previous, in the previous passage, uh, John 12, Jesus said this, Now judgment is upon this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out, and if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And he was in saying this to indicate the kind of death which he was about to die. Now, here we're talking about this wonderful event. What is our response to this glorious event? Now, our response to this glorious event of, of Calvary to a certain extent, it's conditioned by our own understanding of it from the Word of God. And frankly, as time goes on in our lives, we learn to see it in more and more dimensions. As we meditate upon it, as we meditate upon the death of Jesus and his resurrection, there are more facets and wonderful things that occur to us and give us greater praise, greater gratefulness. But I thought that what we could do is look at this glorious event um, these glorious events um, in the light of Romans 8 which is the passage I read earlier where Paul is talking about um, the, the central ideas of the cross and resurrection 
and uh, actually tells us how various things um, um, are changing in our attitudes, in our mind. Paul talks about, you know, I have convictions. I have a conviction. Uh, Verse 31, what then shall we say these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave us up for all, up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, we notice in this passage, Paul uh, talks about all kinds of really uh, grim things. Um, he talks about the threat of death, exile, and prison. Um, he talks about Satan and the powers of darkness. Um, I mean, later on, he says um, that uh, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he's basically saying that no matter what is opposing us, devils or angels, prison and death, whether it be created things, H-bombs, artificial intelligences, plague, famine, war, all of these things that, that come to ruin people's lives, whatever it is, none of these things, then any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now look, this is a this is an aspect of the cross. It's God's central uh, central um, action in actually dealing with all of these things is the cross you see Paul had a conviction about the cross that it was an overwhelming revelation of the power of God's grace so if we look at the beginning of the passage he says what then shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? Now, Paul here is is saying, look look how gracious God is. God has shown commitment to inconsistent, disobedient, faithless, weak, uh, hypocritical, um, corrupt people that are Christians. And he's shown this commitment by not sparing his son. Now, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Paul uses an expression which Abraham used, of course, in the Hebrew, about, uh, sorry, it was an expression used by God about Abraham. And, and God commended Abraham, you, 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 you've, you've, not, you've not spared your own son. Now, in the story, of course, of Abraham and Isaac, the Lord made sure that Isaac uh, was not killed and that Abraham did not sacrifice him. But Abraham was commended because he didn't spare his own son. And all of us who have children or grandchildren or just are aware of, of, of how awful it is for a, for a, for a child to, to die in a parent's agony. And, and Abraham went up through all of this. But you, weren't, you, you, weren't, you were prepared to... Not to spare your son. Now, the Lord gives Paul this insight into the very heart of God. That, that someone was so close to the father, just as a mother or a parent is, is, are to their children. But he was prepared to allow him not only to die, 
but to go through the wretched torture that, that men uh, create for human beings. But not only that, was actually prepared uh, to allow the sins of the world to rest upon him. And for that time when the, the sins of the world were resting upon him, uh, Jesus felt as though his father had abandoned him. It felt like that. Such desolation for the holy Lamb of God. Now, Paul says, look, if, if God is, is prepared not to be so generous, so amazingly loving towards us, he, wasn't, he, he, wasn't, he was prepared not to spare his son, how much more will he be generous with us? How much will he really bless us in our life? Really make us happy? Really give everything to us that we need to find fulfillment in our lives, in this life, and of course, in the next? Not only did he not spare his son, but he delivered him over to the Gentiles and to the Jewish leadership. Uh, Jesus was, uh, went through a court of law in which he was officially declared a criminal, a blasphemer, and worthy of death. He was delivered to, over to all of that. How much more will God be blessing us beyond our imagination uh, in the next life and in this life, well, we, we, we will discover in this life how good God is, God is, is to us as we, as we go through it. So what should be our response to this amazing glory? Well, Paul says this is linked to the glory of the raised, ascended, and reigning Christ. Because he goes on to say, well, who is the one, who's, who, who is the one that shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now, we see we have salvation, we have forgiveness, we are justified uh, through what Christ has done for us. But it's also the resurrection of Jesus brings a present blessing to our hearts. Christ Jesus is the one who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Our salvation and our forgiveness is linked directly to the fact Jesus Christ now exists in heaven, interceding for us, standing on our behalf. If, if you like, it is a reminder, although, of course, God the Father needs no reminder, but it, it's like a, a sign that... The, the, the children of God on earth are forgiven because he has died. He is the one who was slain. And he, standing at the right hand of the Father, is therefore in a position to intercede for every believer that our sins might be forgiven. But more than that, there is a blessing in knowing the risen and ascended Christ. In John 20, verse 29, um, Jesus' response to Thomas, the doubter, who wouldn't believe. I'm not going to believe that Jesus is alive unless I am able to put my hands in his wounds. And then Jesus appears to him. And he, he worships the Lord and says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says these words, which have an especial blessing for you and me tonight. Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. Thomas was blessed because he met the risen Christ. And you sometimes meet people today who claim to have met the risen Christ. And I make, I don't, I, I'm not even going to try to go into the truth claims of those people who say that. But that isn't the real blessing, is actually seeing the, the risen Christ. 
Blessed are those who've never seen the risen Christ, but trust him and yet believe. Peter takes up this theme in 1 Peter 1.8. He says, though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, and you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now this is a, for me and for you to understand that in our relationship with Jesus, the risen Jesus, we have a source of incredible joy, incredible, in fact, inexpressible joy in knowing Jesus. Paul talks about Jesus interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. And, and that is a wonderful, wonderful, marvelous blessing. But you know, there's, a, there's again a kind of hidden, hidden implication in this. If Jesus at this moment knows all about me and knows all about you and is interceding for us, it is also true he is constantly interacting with us. There's that song that says, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. Now, I, I don't particularly like the sentimentality of the way that is spoken, but the reality is true. Jesus is interacting, interacting with us minute by minute. And, it, and it's over to us whether we interact with him or to completely you know, ignore it most of the time. Unless we come to a prayer meeting or come to a church service, then we're reminded that Jesus is with us. But Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit, makes himself known to us and we can interact with this amazing, infinite God who became man. Moment by moment, hour by hour. There's not, a, there's not a moment we can be separated from the love of Christ. And that doesn't just mean that he always cares for us, looks after us, and is, and is guiding and protecting us. It also means that we, we, we are never separated from that interaction with the person of Jesus, our Savior, and our, as our Lord. This is the glory of the resurrection. The, the resurrection affirms to us that we belong to a special family of resurrected people already. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, an amazing passage uh, where Paul talks about the resurrection body that's to come. And he says, well, look, you know, uh, don't ask silly questions. You just get, you know, you, let's, let's be clear. The next life is going to be totally different from this one, as is dust from uh, life. And he says, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, the first Adam, Adam and Eve, uh, him and his wife, begot a family of human beings that live and die. But Jesus creates a family of spiritual beings that will live forever. Spiritual beings, that yes, that have a body, and will have a body that is resurrected, but that body that will be in eternity its dominant characteristic will be its spirituality as well as having a physical aspect to it as well and we are all part of this wonderful family now uh, lots of uh, religious communities claim to call themselves families of God families this family that but the New Testament tells us that all true believers who've received Christ as Savior and Lord have now got a spiritual life within them that, has the, that, that is, is linked to, to, to the family in heaven and we are linked to one another. We, once we leave this body uh, uh, and uh, uh, we then are resurrected uh, when Christ comes again, we'll all be individuals 
But we will be like Jesus in our inner character, in our spiritual character forever. All of the nasty and horrible and mean and grotty bits of Ed Ball, me, will be left behind. All the mean and nasty bits that you have, all will be gone. You'll, you'll still be an individual, you'll be recognizable. But you will be pure and holy as he is holy. You'll be like Jesus. What a wonderful thing this is. What a wonderful uh, thing that, what a glory that the resurrection of Jesus tells us. That Jesus' body, which, which, which was placed in the tomb, for, which appeared to be completely just gone. There was no life in it, no life in the limbs, no, no movement, nothing. It appeared to be on the point of decay, but the Lord did not allow his body to decay. And indeed, life came into that body. And that's exactly what will be happening to us at some point in the future. That life will come to the dust of the earth or into our graves where our bones are, are buried. And uh, we will be raised into a glorious new life. Carl Sagan, a, a, an astronomer, many years ago now, 30, 35 years ago, did a series. He was, he was an atheist, uh, but he did a series on, um, on uh, the cosmos. And uh, I, can, I can well remember him picking up a, a bit of earth from the ground and saying, yeah, we're made of, of this, and it's stardust. And the same elements or similar elements that is in this handle of dust are in our bodies. And they're the same as the stars. We all belong to the star, you know, to this, you know, we're all stardust. Well, of course, that is true. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. But for those who have have had Christ come into their life, we're actually of heaven. We, yes, our bodies are dust, but we have a heavenly reality that Christ has given, given to us. And we're assured of, through his resurrection, that we, we actually are, will be joined with him in his resurrection. As, he di- as we are joined with him in his death, as um, our sins have been taken away by his death, also we are joined to him in the fact that we are raised to new life. So, what a glory for the future. And I'm just going to finish on this. What a glory Easter um, places over the future for us. In Romans chapter 8, Paul uh, Paul does detail um, really the terrible things that have happened down the ages to all human beings, but particularly to, to many Christians. Tribulation and distress. The terrible anxiety that, 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 that kills people inside when they worry about their husband, their wife, their children, when they are in jail, or perhaps they've been in jail, or they've been killed. The terrible anxiety, uh, worrying about the future. What may happen to my children, my grandchildren in this wicked world? Famine, deprivation, nakedness, freezing, peril, constant danger. In fact, actually, we only have to look in the book of Revelation to see some pretty horrific accounts of what may happen in the world, what will happen in the world. And in fact, more to the point, what has been happening in the world for 2,000 years. War after war. I mean, to be a student of history, frankly, is very depressing. I mean, I'm a bit of a student of history, and it is so depressing. To realize that every generation of these terrible wars. I mean, the Ukraine war is so far has had relatively few people killed compared to most of the wars that were happening 20 or 30 years ago in different parts of the world. 
And uh, you go back to the Second World War and the First World War, what a, a catalogue of horror. And to think that this is carrying on in the future might bear someone down. But of course, because of Easter, because of the cross, we know that neither death nor life, illness, unemployment, bereavement, disaster, plague or war, angels nor principalities, things present nor things to come, present historical realities or future historical events, political empires, artificial intelligence, which some of us are a bit concerned about, all human intelligence, height nor depth, nor the most intense experiences, none of these things, none of these created things will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And uh, may the Lord uh, you know, help us to... to um, absorb more and more these, this wonderful glory that is what, what happened during those Easter events. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we do thank you for your amazing love. Lord, uh, all of the terrifying and horrible things that have happened in human history, uh, Lord, that fill us with dismay and horror, and yet, Lord, in so many ways, Calvary was the worst thing of all. The most horrific display of human hatred of God himself. The most terrible display of ungratefulness and ingratitude, of psychopathic wickedness against you, our, our creator who has been so good to us. But we thank you, Lord, that indeed there, Jesus was being glorified in his self-sacrificial love. Because, Lord, as he was being killed, as he was having his life taken away from him, he prayed, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And we thank you, Lord, that those, lip, those words came from the lips of Jesus about idolaters. Men who had killed, murdered many people in their jobs as soldiers. Uh, who couldn't, couldn't care less about another human being dying and simply played dice for his clothes. And yet, what love, what love for the whole world that was shown in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this. We thank you, Lord, for the present reality. Jesus is our saviour if we have trusted in him. And indeed, we may talk, we may walk and talk with him all the days of our life at any time. Um, and we thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that indeed um, you have come to dwell in our hearts, to abide in us as we abide in him. And so we thank you, Lord, for Easter, and we pray, Lord, that you will give us a, a good and pleasant evening sleep tonight and ready to serve you in this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.